안녕하세요. I'm Grace. And I'm Sarah. We're Asian K-drama fans who love to ask and hopefully find answers to all of our and your Asian drama questions. We cover everything from silly topics to sensitive and serious issues that come up as we binge. We'll also share some Korean and Chinese language tips, as well as our experiences as diaspora Asians living in the UK and US. Join us as we delve into the details and context of the dramas we all love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of Afternoon at Asks. We actually just got an email this week. I don't know if you know, Grace, but we just celebrated our 100 days podcast birthday. Yay! <laughs> okay, so I thought about this for a little bit <laughs> because I was like, I feel like we've been podcasting for longer, but that's because we like backfilled. Right. The yes. first few episodes were published we um, under Afternoon of Delight. I was like, yeah. it's been more than 100 days. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> yeah, it's been 100 days officially of Afternoon at Us actually launching. But I mm. thought it's interesting because 100 days is always celebrated for dating couples, right? They always go, oh, we've hit our 100 days. Like, um, why, why is that, Grace? Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know like an official answer, but my guess is that it has to do with another very important 100-day celebration, um, which is called Pegil. Um, and Pegil is the 100-day celebration of a baby's life. Oh. So, I mean, I think in the West, I, I've recently started hearing people call it like the fourth trimester or something like that but the very beginning of a baby's life is you know when um and this was more true back you know back in the day before like modern prosperity and like healthcare and stuff like that but you know the first hundred days um like was precarious you know you didn't know if this baby was going to survive back in the day um um, so Korean people would um, celebrate and, and it's still done now, but um, it started back when, you know, infant mortality was much higher, but it would celebrate the hundredth day mark because if you made it to hundred days, it felt really probable that you were going to make it like to your first year and beyond. Oh. So, yeah. So the hundredth day celebration, um, is important for babies but i imagine that that kind of transferred over to relationships because like in the beginning your relationship is like you know a little bit tentative tenuous like are we gonna make it is this is this for real is this going to be serious or not and about you know 100 days in th three months or a little bit more in you've gotten to a certain rhythm you have a kind of a better sense of like do we fit is this like maybe going to work are we compatible that kind of thing and so i think um, that it's a similar idea like we celebrate the 100 days because we've made it past that rocky first part <laughs> yeah 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 so ah, i think that's okay. where it comes from i mean that's my guess <laughs> ah, that's interesting so we have we also celebrate the baby's first birthday but we do it after the first full month so as mm -hmm. is called Munyut or Manyue, which is yeah, uh, literally translates as full moon. So it's one ah. moon month. Anyway, slight tangent, but thank you for clarifying. <laughs> um, yeah. So today we're actually going to be talking about tradition because we are going to be talking about a topic that we said we were going to do right from the beginning <laughs> of our uh, hundred-day-old podcast, which was Confucianism. So. 
remind us, Grace, why are we doing a podcast on what seems like quite a dry topic? <laughs> well, it's because it uh, Confucianism underpins um, Asian society, and it's hugely influential in the culture of many East and Southeast Asian societies. You know, Korea, China, Japan, Taiwan, Vietnam, etc. So. It also has a big influence on the dramas we watch and the themes they explore. It's often used as like a source of conflict in dramas, especially those that focus on families who have more, you know, traditional values. Um, and I think Confucian norms and expectations come up in almost every uh, drama that we watch, Korean drama, you know, sea drama, etc. So it seems logical that for Western consumers of Asian content, um, learning just a bit more about this Confucian societal context will help bridge the gap in understanding that arises from, you know, like in the West, we are raised in a culture that focuses on individual rights, freedoms, choices, etc. versus one that centers on like, societal good the collective good yeah um and so for me on a personal level i uh as i said in our first podcast what really got me into k-dramas was chloe so crash landing on you was my gateway drama and actually wanting to find a really good romance drama which i feel like the mm -hmm. western tv has kind of abandoned a little bit <laughs> um but actually kind of what surprised me when i look at my list of favorite dramas these days is how much the ones that i actually really love address deeper issues of what it's like to live in asian society nowadays and so much of that conflict is also about duty and the concept of duty and that actually hits hard for me in the feels because it's something that weighs on me as a Chinese person who's been brought up in quite a Confucian Chinese family with mm -hmm. Confucian values, but living in the West. And that conflict right. of like Western society ideals and individualism and independence and living for myself um, as opposed right. to kind of what my 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 family brought me up to. Um mm -hmm. So one of the prime examples of this is actually My Mister, which is still to date my favourite K-drama. <laughs> um, however, for those of you who are fans of Afternoon and Delight, our sister pod, <laughs> uh, they may famously know that they did not like My Mister. Megan, um, well, actually, no, sorry. They did not like it as much as me and Grace do because me and Grace love right. this drama. Yeah, Megan actively disliked the drama <laughs> yes. i think the person who liked it the most was leah but even so she's like she liked but she didn't love um, right right and uh i think that one of the reasons is that the drama's exploration of confucian aspects really got to me emotionally and that mm. maybe that's not felt so strongly by others so right. we wanted to flesh this one out a bit so this podcast is actually going to be a two-parter so today's podcast we're going to talk a little bit more about confucianism itself and the second will be a kind of deep dive on my mister with a specific focus on fleshing out some of the confucian themes we're going to talk about in this podcast that really hit for us um mm -hmm. and it also serves as a as a deep dive that my mister should have had but didn't get <laughs> <laughs> yay <laughs> so as a disclaimer before we dig deeper um sarah and i aren't experts on confucianism by any means um but 
having both grown up half in and half out of cultures deeply rooted in Confucianism, um, it's a subject of some fascination for both of us. Um, also, we are only going to scratch the surface here because um, um, at its core, Confucianism is a belief system that grapples with the question of what human beings owe to one another within a society. Um, and what we see of that in dramas is people living and having relationships within the context of Confucian norms. We see people interacting with their families, with significant others, with other members of society and legal systems, education, corporate environments, and patriarchy. So that's all within the context of this deeply rooted Confucianism. So when we address other topics like feminism, uh, adoption, the K entertainment industry, etc., these Confucian ideas will also keep coming up. And um, eventually, I think we do want to address those other topics. Um, but for today, we will mostly talk about the part of it that um, crops up most in K-dramas, um, namely filial piety, uh, which is hyodo in Korean. And in in Chinese? In, in Mandarin, it's xiao, uh, in Mandarin Chinese. Mm. and in But in Cantonese, it's actually haosun, which actually sounds ah. a bit more like the Korean. So it's another one of those words right. that sounds more like the Korean in Cantonese than it does in Mandarin. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Let's first start with Confucius himself. And um, Sarah, do you have a very quick backgrounder on him? Very quick. So Confucius, <laughs> which is the romanization of his actual name given to him by Jesuit missionaries, um, his actual name in Chinese, which is is Kong Tiu, but he is actually known as Kong Fuzi or Kong Zi, uh, which sounds nothing like Confucius, obviously, um, but it means master or teacher Kong. Uh, so he was born in Shandong province, which is a coastal province that kind of juts out on the east coast of China and is geographically the closest to Seoul um, in terms of oh. its geography relationship yeah, to, to China. Um, and he was born in the 6th century BC. So he's like a he's like a compatriot of say Plato. Uh, we're talking that era. Oh. So he's pretty yeah, it's uh he's a pretty ancient figure. Um and actually I went to Shandong as one of my first ever uh -huh. trips out of Beijing when I first lived there. Um and Chufu, which is his town, his hometown, is kind of like a Confucius Disneyland, like every <laughs> Everything is branded like you could buy Kongzi everything like Kongzi like toilet roll or Kongzi like sweets and Kongzi like candles and Kongzi oh hats and, like the whole thing and everyone that you meet is named Kong and it swears they're like Amazing. you know directly descended from Kongzi yeah it's hilarious um but basically, yeah, he was a teacher who who systemized elements of ancient Chinese philosophy so he didn't come up with this stuff himself um mm. but he 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 kind of was the first, I guess, to really put it together. And just like Socrates, his sayings and anecdotes were recorded. Um, and then it's actually his disciples that um, put together a comprehensive tome of his of his learnings. And they are mm -hmm. known as the Confucian Analects. And they formed the basis of most classical Chinese uh, study. And it's mm -hmm. also when you... Um, watch your like saguks and your uh, like court-based Chinese historicals, all the scholars, the things they are studying are the Confucian Analects and all right. of the poetry, the kind of the body yeah. of work that Confucius um, kind of um, 
inspired. But as he himself stresses, what he says is not either new or revolutionary. They are essentially, it's a Confucian concept itself, that you stay true to the old ways. You let the wisdom from your elders guide you. You remember your duties and your responsibilities in terms of the status that you hold in life. And you honor your parents and your ancestors. Mm-hmm. So that's at core kind of the Confucian uh, set of beliefs. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to list out some of the Confucian key principles, and they will be very familiar to those of you who are avid CNK drama watchers. Um, these were not taught to me uh, when I was a kid. <laughs> it's kind of like an absorption by osmosis type of situation. Yes, or, same thing for me. We're, right, not underwater diffusion. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, so... Uh, number one, do not do unto others what you would not want done unto you. So kind of like the reverse of the golden rule, <laughs> but like similar idea. Yeah. Uh, two, people should practice the five virtues, which are humaneness, righteousness or justice, ritual, propriety, knowledge and integrity. Three, always be considerate to others. Four, respect your ancestors. Five, aim for harmony and balance in all things. Six, avoid extremes of behavior and emotion. Seven, live in peace and harmony and keep in touch with the spiritual forces of the universe, including nature. Eight, importance of study study and working hard. Nine, obedience to authority. Ten, appropriate behavior, order, responsibility, and ritual. So some of these have some overlap, but it's basically like everything in its right place. Yes. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Know your yeah. place. Keep the order. <laughs> right. <laughs> Understand yes. the wisdom. Respect your elders and right. and pass that on as well. That's your duty, right? Yeah. Um you need to pass this on to the further generations. You need to uphold traditions, uphold um the culture and uphold all of what went before you right right so let's start with the filial piety (laughs) as we said um this is the one that pops up the most in k-dramas at least it's the one that we notice the most um so sarah can you share a bit about what your understanding of filial piety was growing up um what are some ideas about it that you were raised with in your family um, primarily for me, it would be respect for parents and obedience to my parents. Mm-hmm. They were the main key ones. I had to respect my parents and I had to obey. This was the role of us as children. Mm-hmm. And it always came back to parents do so much to bring you into the world. They right. uh, raise you, they feed you, they sacrifice themselves, they clothe you. And so you mm-hmm. pay that duty back by being respectful, by studying hard, by making them proud, getting a good job, marrying well, mm-hmm. having children and grandchildren <laughs> uh, and looking after them when they get older. Um, I think sacrifice mm-hmm. is especially emphasized as well. I think partly because yeah. we were an immigrant family, um, but my mum made a huge deal all the time I was growing up um, because my dad wasn't around a, a lot in terms of the hours that he spent with us because he we were all, we were in the catering industry, so obviously he was at his busiest wow. when we were, you know, off school or at the weekend. Right. So she always emphasised how hard he worked for us, 
um mm -hmm. and specifically you know the immigrant kind of um experience the tough life they had the huge journey they made the foreign mm -hmm. country they had to get used to the language barriers all for the sake of our family and so this is everything they did for us and this is mm -hmm. kind of like a concept of like there's it's not debt per se but it's kind of they did this for for us as a family so we as mm -hmm. children have to kind of work pay back our part in the family and our part is to is to respect our parents be obedient study hard and 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 grow up well and eat well and stay healthy <laughs> and you know, yeah. like yeah things like that Right, um, right, right. And then, then that blends onto the reason why we have to study hard and get one of like the classic immigrant jobs, like be a doctor <laughs> or a lawyer or accountant, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So that's what it right. felt like to me in my childhood. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I mean, honestly, I didn't know uh, anything about like the words filial piety. I hadn't heard the word like hyodo like at all in childhood, but I knew. I knew I was supposed to show respect to parents and elders, um, speak to them respectfully when I was younger. I mean, that mostly meant, again, like with you, being obedient, like without question. Yeah, without <laughs> there was no, <laughs> Yeah, with, I mean, there, there was no, like, like explaining why. Because <laughs> <laughs> I explained why to my, my kids all the time. There was none of that. <laughs> there was none of that. Um, especially if we were out in public like uh among our community like at church like there yeah i should not talk back uh that was like the height of disrespect um and for me back then i really felt like most of it was for show like mm. so my parents could look good in front of their friends but i think my um childhood conception of it wasn't like an accurate understanding of that because um, like as I've been immersing myself in Korean content as an adult especially recently um, like it's been illuminating because I I keep I can't count the number of times I've felt seen or had a moment of epiphany about some aspect of my own upbringing um, mm. while watching the dramas. Um, like, and one of the things I've realized is that filial piety is supposed to be reciprocal. And, you know, like for you, you, you heard this, like, Oh, your, your father is sacrificing so much for you, et cetera. But that wasn't really um, emphasized as much in my family. Mm. Um my dad came to the States when he was 15. He went, he joined the U.S. military and then he went to college on um, the GI Bill, which is, uh, you know, a U.S. law that, you know, says that people who have served in the military can get help going to, uh, you know, higher education. So he's an engineer, like stable um and and regular hours and stuff so i didn't hear a whole lot of that oh my gosh your father has sacrificed so much that stuff so i didn't get that like you know they have they're they're doing their duty to us and then we should do our duty back it was just like like no you should be respectful and i didn't know why <laughs> yeah yeah so, you know um so anyway so uh, one of the things that watching dramas has done for me is like make me realize like in a more explicit way like oh this is what that meant this is why there was that expectation so like it's parents owe duties of care to their children while raising them as children owe duties of care to their parents 
um, owe respect to their parents when their children and then duties of care to their parents in old age. Um, and, and then also the other side of that is that parents are supposed to lead like honorable lives and be respectable mm. so that their children can show honor and respect to their parents without shame. Mm. Um, and I learned this in particular from um, Song Yun-kun scandal, which is like, it's based, it's like set inside a Confucian Academy. So yeah, um, yeah no, I mean, it, but it's really good. Don't don't let that uh, put you <laughs> uh, tur- turn you off of it. It's not super. It's like a really good drama, but they they have interwoven um, really like key aspects of Confucianism into that drama. So yeah, so so a lot of the things I understood as for show, quote unquote, or for bragging rights when um, when I was younger, I've come to understand is like much as much. Um, for parents to mark their own progress in fulfilling their duty to their children as it was, you know, for children to do their duty to parents. So, um, like, in dramas, for example, you might have seen, like, um, there's a big deal made about the first paycheck. Yes. First paycheck, the child gets their parent a nice gift or gives their parent a bunch of money. Um, the most recent example of this that I saw was um, in Move to Heaven, actually, which I loved. Um, and there's, a, there's a vignette where um, it's shown that a son has given this very nice, and actually, I don't know if it was even very nice, but has given this nightgown to his um, mother, Yes. Because he earned his first paycheck and she makes a big, big deal about it. Like, oh my goodness, this is so beautiful. What great quality. It's so soft. I'll wear this all the time. Yeah. So like that is a thing. And for the longest time, I thought like, oh, that's just so like parents can brag to their their friends like, oh, look at this like beautiful designer bag my child got me from her pay- first paycheck or yeah. oh lo- you know look at this wonderful thing my child did i thought it was like bragging rights but it's uh. but i realized while watching dramas that it's not just bragging rights it's like that that milestone like oh my goodness my ch- i have raised my child to the point where now they can support themselves yes yeah um so like, you know, and, and all those other things, getting married, having your own children, those are all like those milestones, those signposts that are yeah. like, oh, I've, I've, I've brought my child up to this point where yeah. they've established their own life. Oh, I have done my duty, right? Yeah. To my children. And- and I think that's the thing because it's it's the duty to the children. So you've done the duty to your children, but also you've done your duty to society, right? Right. Because you, right. you have a duty as somebody, as a citizen of the society you live in, that part yeah. of what Confucianism is about is about passing those rights on, about um, bringing up your children to respect, you know, the, the order that has already been set and right, preserve right. harmony. So you've also saying to society as a whole, like, look, I have done my duty. I've brought my children up <laughs> yes. in the right way. Yes. Yeah. And, and, Which... and also, 
yeah, duty to your ancestors also. Like I am honoring my ancestors by continuing their line in an yes. honorable manner, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, so now like that I'm a parent myself, I, I really like these really like hit home to me. Like they like because even though, you know, in the West, that's not how we think about these things. Um, I feel like they're it's relatable. Because, like, yes. you know, in Western cultures, we tend to think about our care and support for our children coming out of our love for them instead of duty. And like, mm. we hope our children will care about our well-being in old age because of that love. And because hopefully we've, you know, like formed healthy and supportive relationships, reciprocal ones. Um, but like, I think that uh, in Confucian culture, like in cultures that have this Confucian um influence and foundation like duty and love are kind of inseparable yeah so so in that way like even though it sounds a little bit like you know cold and hard to say duty it actually duty and love are two sides of the same coin I think yeah. So anyway, I, I like I started from um like when I was younger to, to when I was to when I was older. But like for you, um, Sarah, how has your understanding of duty and filial piety changed um, as you've gotten older and become a parent? Yeah, it's it's really hard, right? Because um, so I'm raising mixed race kids. Um, and honestly, sometimes and, and so obviously the, I'm bridging this gap all the time between my own childhood and the culture I've been brought up in and the Western society we live in. And genuinely, mm -hmm. sometimes I just feel like a failure. Like when my kids mm -hmm. are out of control and when they're mm -hmm. not obedient and then when they totally do not respect anything I'm saying, <laughs> I just think, where did I go wrong? Like yeah. I didn't speak like this to my own mom. Like, you know, it, like where did I fail in my journey right. to being a parent? Um. And it's so hard, right? Because like, so for example, with my daughter, my example is always like, before I had her, I was like, I want a girl who's curious and independent and strong and fearless and not be like a timid pushover. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of just wasn't prepared to parent one. I kind of thought that <laughs> you know, like she could kind of like come out fully formed in that way at 18. But until then, she could be like a good girl, like that, you know, that it was easy to, it's kind of like doesn't work that way. So, I mean, I think right. this is like probably off topic for the core part of our podcast, but I do feel there is definitely an inherent conflict between those of us who are diaspora Asians kind of living and bringing up children in the West. And we're constantly mm -hmm. having to battle these concepts of individualism versus constitution concepts of, of family and and duty um right but yeah what you said really hit home like I uh like I'm due to do a deep dive with Leah on my liberation notes mm. um which I watched earlier this year have you seen that drama yet Grace yes yeah so we, good. Need chat, we need to chat about this offline <laughs> but, um yeah like a lot of what I really loved about that drama again was about duty and I I mm -hmm. think part of the reason why I really love these dramas because it lets me explore these themes but kind of like right. one removed so they're not kind of heavily emotional personal yeah. journeys that I have to make about right. my identity <laughs> yeah. they're ones that other characters are doing but I can explore kind of what that means like and how heavy duty like I think specifically how heavy duty weighs on you yes. and yes. I think that is something that I feel I have not passed on to my children 
And sometimes I don't know whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like I still haven't. Yeah. So I'm grappling a lot with these kind of personal topics like myself yeah. as my children get older. Yeah. Yeah. But with, you know, with my liberation notes and, and with like a lot of the better dramas, I feel like, I feel like a lot of it that I find really um, encouraging is that often they come out on the other side, realizing that this duty wasn't as heavy, wasn't as onerous as they had thought. Yes. Like they have that epiphany of like, hey it was never meant to be this this huge weight yeah you know so yeah i agree so um in korean culture filial piety also extends beyond the grave yes and we see that part in like the funeral like rituals and in chesa scenes in our dramas um, is there any kind of like funeral or death ritual or ancestor worship that your family did or does from Chinese culture? Yeah. So Chinese, Chinese religion. So first of all, see Chinese religion stretches long way back. We have a, a long, right. long tradition and there's also academic arguments worth about whether Confucianism itself is a religion or not, or, or just a philosophy. But right. I think generally speaking, Chinese culture or Chinese people, the late, the average Chinese person will blend together many different types of religion uh-huh. uh, and religious aspects. So there might be some kind of Taoism, some Buddhism, some elements of Confucianism uh, yeah. and access to worship. Uh, and you can blend them and not be... I don't know, seen as uh, betraying a certain religion or something. And obviously there are right. those who are, are Christian or those who are fully Buddhist that may be a little bit more strict with with the kind of beliefs right, that they right. have. But I think the average Chinese person, um, and I'm probably talking more outside of communist China, by the way, sorry, the average Chinese person would, would probably blend, or the Chinese family would kind of blend these things together. So for mm-hmm. me, obviously I come from a Hong Kong Chinese uh, family. We definitely had ancestor worship. So we would have like a shrine in the corner of my grandma's um, houses, both my grandma's, um, which I think you might be kind of familiar with from a Korean point of view. So they're usually red colored and there's usually some fruit there that is like an offering to ancestors. And there's usually like a place where you would burn some incense as a mm-hmm. offering to your ancestors. Um, and then there are more uh, specific rituals. We have a day called uh, Qingming, which is uh, literally means clearing your ancestors' graves which is ah, yeah. um, around the fourth month of the lunar calendar, which is there to kind of like you're supposed to tend to your ancestors' graves at that point. And there's a bit more yeah. of a ritual on that one. Um, but I do remember quite clearly um, my mum saying, so my 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 brother, I have one other brother, and uh, my younger brother, and he's technically like the the... In, in a male patriarchy, you know, heterogeneous, like uh, a culture that believes in, you know, primogeniture, right? He is the head of the uh-huh. family because he's the oldest yeah. son. Um, but um, he actually converted to Christianity at university. Um, ah. and, my, and parents were quite, they're very respectful of that. I think my parents come from more of a kind of Buddhist philosophy, I guess. And uh-huh. for them, they feel like Christianity was his path and Buddhism was not his his fate. His karma wasn't with Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, but it meant that some of this ancestral worship thing that obviously they, they couldn't expect him to do. So I do remember yeah. like my mum saying, and I remember thinking like, 
this wasn't really a big deal for me either until one day she said, right, it's just down to you now. You know, so because I, me and my brother are the only uh, grandchildren from my mother's side. So neither oh. of my uncles or my aunt have children. So it's just me and my brother. And she said, well, your brother's following the path of Jesus. Like that's how <laughs> she phrased yeah. it in Chinese. Your brother is is following the path of Jesus. So we've uh-huh. only got you. Our side of the family only has you. So you are, oh. you once I'm not here and your uncle's not here, this will be your duty. Oh, wow. I remember thinking like, shit, that's a lot. <laughs> 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 I'm something like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, you know? But um, yeah, I do. Re- I do remember thinking like, so we burnt, to, and one of the things we do is like, obviously we offer food and we, we, um, but we also we we burn items for so I don't know if you have this in Korea. So you can go mm. to like different uh shops in the market that sell the paper versions of things oh. that people will need in their afterlife. So you can uh-huh. buy paper clothes, paper money, you can now get paper mobile phones, um, paper <laughs> tablets and computers. Oh my and god, you, that's you amazing. Buy this stuff and then you burn it um for your ancestors to use wow, in their afterlife. Cool. Um, and you can actually get like an all-in-one bag, which is what we, we normally get. <laughs> so it's like a like an already filled bag of stuff that they would need for their afterlife. So you don't have to kind of shop like the entire shop. Oh. You just get this bag of everything that they might need in there and you go and burn that. So um, there is like a ritual that that and I do remember like my mum saying right now you you like your insects and you say a few words to your uh your so she's my maternal grandmother, I think we were doing it for. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know. I have no idea what to say. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know the words in Cantonese to. And she's like, just chat to your grandma. Like, just chat to mm-hmm. her in whatever Cantonese you want to use, or even if in English, if you want, she will understand because mm-hmm. she's in the. <laughs> I don't know. She's in the afterlife, and they. I don't know. They understand all languages there. I don't know. Anyway, so I remember her kind of. In a way, it was nice because she kind of like deformalized it for me because I think yeah. I was getting really panicked at that point that I didn't know what I was doing. But she was like, yeah. literally, I guess she was trying to say it is just an act of respect. It's saying we haven't forgotten about you. I'm here. Uh-huh. This is what's happening in my life at the moment. And we still think of you and we still miss you. And and that's all it is. There isn't doesn't need to be like yeah. a massive amount of like really ritualistic things. Um. So yeah, that did help actually. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, so my family like didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> Chess has not a thing. So because... Chessa, you've mentioned a couple of times now, so maybe can yeah. you explain? Okay. Yeah. Okay, Chessa is the ancestor worship like ritual. Um, and a lot of um, viewers of K-dramas will have seen this. Like um, it's, you know, that low table. It's usually got kind of like it's a wo- low wooden table it's kind of got a reddish tone yeah um, so they usually call it a memorial thing that's usually what it's translated as right like it's yeah. my father's memorial day today yeah, or something yeah, like that yeah um right oh the memorial day is there's another word for it it's like is it key yeah so key is the memorial day or the death anniversary day so chesa is a thing like the ancestor like worship that happens um, for big holidays and also sometimes for the ancestor's birthday, sometimes for the ancestor's death day, which is the memorial day that you're talking about. Um, Actually, so the Chesa ceremony 
the ancestor worship ceremony uh, during the holidays, like Chuseok and Seollal, it's called something different. It's called Charye. Charye. But my family, both sides, my maternal family and my paternal family, all Christian. Right. So we didn't do any of that. We didn't have um, any altars or like shrines uh, with incense or anything in any of our houses. Um, uh, because I think that um, Christians in Korea, pr- particularly Protestant Christians, um, think of Chesha and like bowing to deceased persons as a kind of idolatry. Mm. Um, and and I've, I've, I've seen this in dramas too, like, um, like for example, in one of my um, five to get to know me dramas, Cunning Single Lady, there's this funeral scene where one of the main side characters comes and she does like, so, you know, the bow to the ancestors is the big bow. The, the really deep part. one, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the one where you get down on your knees and you put your hands on the floor and you put your head to the floor, basically. Yeah. So she didn't do that, though. And she, she begged off of doing that uh, because she was like, I'm a Christian. And, you know, everyone, like, nodded and was understanding of that and stuff. And so, like... um, so actually, I didn't I didn't really put two and two together about that until I saw that scene. I was like, oh, yeah, that's we don't do any of that. That must be it. <laughs> that must yeah. Be it. Yeah. But yeah. So Christians mostly will not do um, Chesha. But I was curious about it all. So I asked one of my Korean tutors if she does Chesha or if she grew up doing Chesha. And. <laughs> And she told me that she grew up um, doing Chesa, like every Chuseok, which is like Korean Thanksgiving and or, or Harvest Festival. And um, every Seollal, which is uh, Lunar New Year. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes even on like her deceased grandparents' birthdays. And they would set up that table with um, her ancestors' names written in calligraphy in Hancha. So oh, the okay. Chinese, their Chinese yes. names. But like not like not like printed like in that beautiful script, you yes. know that we often see the the Joseon scholars, you know, doing their yeah, <laughs> calligraphy. Yeah. So so they would have the hancha calligraphy of her ancestors' names on the little stands, um, and then there was an order to it. Like red foods were on one side of the table, and white foods were on the other. The fish head is on one side, the fish tail is on the other, and then there's alcohol and there's incense. And this one I had never heard before, but she told me that they would leave a window open. Maybe some families also left a door open so that the spirits of the ancestors could come and enjoy the feast. Oh. Um, and then they would move the utensils around to the different dishes after each bow. Like, bow, move the chopsticks and spoon to the fish. Bow, move them to the, like, chon. Um, bow, move them to the rice cakes. Or, you know, like like that. Uh. So, like, to, to, like, show that they're, like, able to enjoy this food. Um, and so, like, back when she was a kid, apparently, like, there were always traditional foods that you had to have on the chesa. Mm. Uh, table but these days um th- that's not s- m- so much done um like because chesa is um is is somewhat like in flux right now in korean society because it's a lot of work to cook and clean and prepare the like chesa table and everything and all of that work fell on women in the household well 
it's very topical for our Confucian part, right? Because that's the reason why women do it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So it's really interesting, though, because um, so things are changing now in a lot of ways. So that's not how it's done anymore. Um, now it's become a lot more simple. Mm. Um, and um, a lot of it is outsourced. So right. ever since like most couples have become like most households have become like dual earning households. Yeah. Like mothers-in-law, at least the reasonable ones, um, they he- they are hesitant to put kind of that workload of preparing for Chesha on their daughters-in-law. So they mm. like the um, like they'll buy a lot of the foods, the Chesha foods at the markets. Yes. yes. Um, instead of you know everyone working hard for days to like <laughs> make all of this food for Chesha. Um, yes. and, and also like there, there's m- more, apparently there's more of a, like a division of, um, responsibilities. Like you take care of your house, you take care of your side. I'll take care of my side happening uh, these days. Um, and yeah. like, I think we saw a little bit of that in because this is my first life. And so yes. uh, it was interesting to me to hear from my tutor that like, you know, that is that is really what is happening in Korean society these days. Yeah, because I also saw it. It's also a scene in Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha where Shimina's character, she buys some chun. I, chun? How uh-huh. do you say this? Sorry. Chun. Is it chun? Chun. chun. She buys chun from the market um, and brings that along for, I don't want to give any spoilers, but there's a death towards the end of hometown cha 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 uh and so for that um ceremony she bought along some uh, ready made and yeah, yeah i remember like thinking at the time I'm like oh so that's okay then you don't have to i i thought it was always having to be homemade and that yeah. was the way that you had to do it um but it was seemed to be that because she bought it from the market it still seemed to be and it was still plated up that it was um completely respectful to do it that way yeah i did not remember that detail at all but yes yeah awesome and I just remembered it it occurred to me yeah it's funny because in Chinese culture it's actually really much more simple you buy fruit um and maybe if um you want to go a bit further food wise you buy like a whole boiled chicken Mm. but that's about it that's already quite a big so yeah there isn't such a an element of of prep I think compared to the the chesa that you were talking about that your Korean tutor was uh, had experienced yeah. So yeah, really interesting. So it's now time for our language section. Um, and I thought that uh, we should uh, do a couple of uh, pronunciations. Well, actually, at least one pronunciation. Uh, and that's because I've been hearing a lot about the actor you recently but unfortunately i regret to uh inform everybody that it's uh you tail so it's tail um not ta and the reason it's spelled like that i believe my theory is that this particular actor who you know was born and raised in germany and is like fluent in english and um stuff I think he thought to himself, when an English-speaking person sees my name um, spelled this way, they're going to pronounce it Teo. Um, and I think for the unschooled, that is absolutely true. 
that uh, most English speaking people would look at T-E-O and say, oh, that's Teo. But since uh, many of us who, who watch Korean dramas or speak a little bit of Korean know that E-O is uh, the romanization of all, we've now got it got all messed up <laughs> because he did a non-traditional romanization of his name. So his yeah. name is Teo. Teo. Yu uh, Teo, um, not Yu Ta or Ta Yu. Um, yes. So, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for cl- thanks for clarifying that. So his family name is Yu, and yes. his given name is Teo. Actually, and this is all just a screen. Uh, what's it called? A stage name too. <laughs> so it's oh, all. Oh really? <laughs> oh yeah. His family name isn't even Yu, but like like his stage name, the surname is Yu, and his given name is Teo. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So- Thanks for that, Grace. That's good. So we can all try to practice his name properly. Uh-huh. I think yeah. the other one I wanted to raise that uh, has occurred to me again before, but listening to the podcast, it was um, so I'm going to say his name in the in 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 heavily westernized accent, which is Lee Minho. So Lee Minho, uh-huh. how should we actually say his name in Korean? So, so his actual name is Lee Minho. So it's really tough um, because the Mostly, the Korean surname that is anglicized as Lee is E, e. Um, which is different from like Captain Ree in um, Crash Landing on You, because his oh. surname is actually Ree, Ree, yeah, Ree. So there's a oh. real. So it would make sense to put an R or an L at the beginning of his given name, but most people oh. who have the Lee surname, it's E. But some, like really rarely, some uh, names are actually three. Um, oh. So that's very confusing. But for E Min Ho, it's E. And then there is no short I sound in Korean. It's um, E and Min have the same vowel sound. E Min Ho. And then oh, they kind of run e, together. E Min, e, min Ho. ho. Oh, oh. Ho. Oh, it's not yeah. ho, it's ho. Ho. Ho, yeah. Lee min ho. E min ho. Okay. E min yeah. ho. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going to so. have to switch my pronunciation because I think for so long we've been calling him the wrong word, wrong yeah. Yeah. thing. Cool. Um, but, oh, so there was one other thing that I, I was wondering about. Um. So I'm wondering when you said uh, the Qing Dynasty and the Ming Dynasty, are yes. those words in Mandarin, Qing and Mi- Ming, or are they in Cantonese? They're in Mandarin. Oh, uh, yeah. So most of the uh, historical terms of like formal Chinese history are in Mandarin. Oh, okay. So all the Dynasty names are in Mandarin. Ah. Uh, yeah. Are there separate ways to say them in Cantonese? Uh, yeah, but they're kind of they sound similar, so it's probably more tonal. So, uh, like the Ming Dynasty in Cantonese would be Ming Til. That would be ah. that means Til is destiny, so Ming Til. And then Qing Dynasty would be Qing Til. So. It's more uh, or less the same, and then more... Tang Dynasty would be Tong Tiu, and 
Song Dynasty would be Song Song Chiu, I think. I probably got that yeah. tone wrong. Don't talk about the song. I don't think I know the song Dynasty very well. Um, <laughs> That's so, okay. Yeah. 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 No, the reason I was curious about it is because um the Qing Dynasty and the Ming Dynasty are mentioned a lot in Saguks that are set in the Choson um period. Yes. And they say uh Cheng, I think they say Cheng and Myung. Oh instead of okay. Uh, Qing and Ming. Qing and Ming. Okay. So I was curious, like, since the Cantonese is often closer to the Korean, I was like, oh, is it like, <laughs> is it, is yeah, it, is it close? Yeah, yeah. But I guess not. <laughs> no, but we need to, like, uh, uh, Grace and I have been talking separately that we will do a, a fun pod on Cantonese words that sound like Korean or Korean words that sound like the Cantonese because we're yeah. not sure which way it came first but um or yeah that would a, be uh, a language section on that yeah a, yeah a mini a, a mini part. language section <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah true we probably don't have enough examples for our whole part actually we could do a Cantonese pod and then fit in in the section like Korean words that sound like the Cantonese you could you know say because oh, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of there's a yeah there's a lot of them actually um I still like maintain a little like I have a little like notes thing on my phone for whenever uh -huh. I hear a word and then I see the English translation I'm like hey that sounds like the Cantonese so uh yeah. I have maintained my list yeah it's fun awesome um so maybe we should now talk about like the Confucian norms that we we have seen it in dramas like examples yes yeah okay yeah because you know for me actually like often it occurs to me while watching the dramas that the creators of these shows are specifically putting like confucian like uh ideas and um concepts and like things in the drama um to like send messages and mm. um, and maybe to like help people do that grappling with how their um, culture is changing, that how the norms are changing, how, you know, maybe expectations of about gender roles and relationships and healthy boundaries should change. Um, so like, that's what hits me. But like, what are some of the examples of like, Confucianism that or like duty and filial piety that uh, that you that really have struck you in in watching um, Korean and Chinese dramas? Yeah, I think things like um, Saving Face, about mm. things like fitting in and not standing mm -hmm. out. So this is all about knowing your place and uh, yes. holding your place in society, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. Representing also that your role is not just to represent yourself, but you're representing your entire family and mm. your ancestors. Um and then we've spoken quite a few times now about the duty uh, that weighs on you as an individual. Right. Um, but also um, things like destiny, things that mm. are bestowed by the heaven, like the the the, the way that heaven's will is uh, played out. So mm -hmm. I'm currently watching My Dearest, which is set in um, the Chosun period, which is when the Qing dynasty was about to take over from the Ming dynasty in China. Mm. And as part of that, they uh, effectively made the Chosun emperor a, a puppet of the Qing state. Um, and they talk a lot about, you know, this being 
something that the the, the Chosun emperors have angered the gods and so this is why it's happened to them and mm -hmm. the Qing dynasty tries to establish its legitimacy by saying they have the will of, of the heavens with them which is ah. why they are now going to start a new empire and the Ming no longer have the will of the heavens ah. is is that sometimes uh, is the will of the heavens sometimes translated mandate of heaven yes yes yeah. oh, okay okay because yes. uh, yeah, yeah. yeah okay cool yeah so I thought uh, with those examples, I thought it would be helpful to flesh some of this out by using some examples in K-drama. So, for example, um, the traditional Korean methods. I so I was reading the traditional Korean methods for avoiding and dealing with loss of face include like withholding bad news. And apparently, uh -huh. especially if it happens on a Friday, um, not telling the truth, resorting to an old kind of institutionalized practice of repairing the damage by mutually agreeing to pretend that things never happened oh so i thought i think you had some thoughts on this right from our um booth. yeah well so um i feel like i've never heard of the friday thing but that's really interesting <laughs> uh you got this from uh, an article i think um yes. but yeah a lot of the not telling the truth um I am really familiar with like people, you know, we talk a lot about how, you know, Korean ajumas and Korean or, or like Asian moms and stuff like that. Like they do not hold back. Like there is no topic that is, uh, you know, uh, off limits or whatever. But also there is like a deep um, there's a deep culture of like helping people save face. Like, for example, yes. like you might see, um, for example, um like a situation where like two buddies friends friends from high school they they've they've met up and one of them uh, is is doing well they're they're well off uh, the other one is clearly down on their luck but um the one who's well off will say like no this is on this this meal is on me like you always treat me and all of these things like it, he, he won't say for example like i know you're down on your luck right now yeah. Yeah. Let me get this meal. Um, yeah. I mean, there there, uh, there are better examples of this, but that's what's coming to mind right now. And in terms of repairing the damage by mutually agreeing to pretend it never happened, I feel like in Korean dramas, I don't see like an institutionalized version of it, but I see like tacit agreement <laughs> of that. Yeah. Like for example, unspoken. Unspoken, yes. Unspoken agreement. Like for example, like in the R Blues, teenage pregnancy uh story like the the parents of those teens the dads of those teens are like feuding for like years and years and years mm. and then i don't think they actually really truly talk it out but at some point they just agree like bygones will be bygones and we are now good yeah you know what i mean I do, yeah. We just won't talk about these things, these ways in which, you know, like you humiliated me and I humiliated you. Like they do a little bit, but then it's like, we'll never mention it again. Yeah. Type of thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I think maybe that that is um, what, you know, that article was talking about. And I'm yeah. sure there are much, but much better examples out there. But I can't think. I can't think. Yeah, right now. <laughs> that's okay. Another one, maybe. I thought of this after the recording. Um, I remember 
there being a bit of consternation when people were watching our beloved summer about the fact that they never showed um, the female lead, Yeonsu, and the male lead, Ung, having a conversation about why she broke things off the very first time they were dating. Uh, and I, I wonder now if that is not shown in the drama because of the same thing, this this saving of face. Because in if you remember in the drama, um, you know, Ung asks Yeonsu, like, why they broke up, and then she kind of evades the question at first. And then at some point, Ung goes and sees Yeonsu's harmony, and her grandmother hints at, alludes to, says some stuff to make it clear that there was a situation back then that was out of her granddaughter's control that was really terrible. So Ung at least understands like there was some major hardship that happened. Um, he figures that part out. And then perhaps in it's intentional. Perhaps it was intentional that he just let that lie. You know, instead of being like, we're starting things up again, things are going good, but there's this nagging concern I have about why we broke up to begin with. Instead of that, um, he understood, hey, that there was um, some kind of negative situation at that time that was outside of Yonsu's control. It was outside of our relationship and maybe I just chalk it up to that and I don't confront her I don't kind of put that in her face um, make her tell me about what was a humiliating situation um, a terrible situation a shameful situation for her uh, so yeah I wonder if that was also one of these instances of drama characters helping each other save face um so then i spoke uh, a little bit about the mandate of heaven but that concept of destiny also then applies on the romantic side so this gives us um what obviously we in the romance reading community call fated mates so the fated mm -hmm. mates trope in k-drama has its roots in Confucian kind of concepts of destiny. So we have a destiny that's ordained by the heavens in childhood. Uh, mm -hmm. And these are either in your own lifetime or potentially in several reincarnated future lifetimes. So obviously examples of this are goblin, uh, which is over several lifetimes. Um, mm -hmm. What's wrong with several secretary Kim, which is a childhood one. Hometown cha-cha-cha also had a childhood kind of connection. So some uh, mm -hmm. tale of the nine-tailed, was obviously over several uh, lifetimes. So again, sometimes we maybe think, oh God, like another K-drama romance with a childhood connection. Um, but it actually does have its roots in this Confucian concept of, of destiny and not being able to overcome this preordained destiny. Right. And, and also it's like, I think it's the idea of if you are, like if you are in your right place, if you, <laughs> if you are, uh, you know, because, um, you know, you, you talked about how Chin was losing its mandate and Min, uh, Min, Ming was losing its mandate. Ming, and Ching, oh, yeah. Ming. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Ming was losing its mandate and Ching was now rising in in power or whatever. So like 
I think it's also kind of a, if things are to work out the way they're supposed to, like if everything is going, if you are doing the right thing, if you are in your right place, this, yes. this destiny gets completed or something like that. Yeah. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. It means everything's going smoothly. It's because it's meant to be. And if you mm-hmm. fight it too much, it's maybe just not meant to be. Like if the things don't stack, they keep not stacking up for you. You keep missing the opportunities. That's a sign that this is not your destined path. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, and then another theme that comes up is uh, individualism versus representing your family. Um, mm. So obviously, as I keep mentioning, I've wrapped up something in the rain not long ago, but that drama <laughs> plus one spring night uh, are big examples of this trope. So marrying mm-hmm. um, for your family's wishes and right. uh, to suit their preferences and not your own. And yeah. here in both of these dramas, the background of the man is incredibly important. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they can be things that he literally cannot change. So the, you know, what right. happened to his father's family for example that is um or something that happened to his father something that's something in the rain um Mm -hmm. so that you know the the son could go on and and be uh an amazing person and an amazing man and have a great job but his family background will always always be held against him um right because that is that's part of the kind of the order of of things that he is not uh they, that, that he there is a place in his society that he should belong to and uh the the female leads family believe that her place in society is different from his so it's kind of similar to like i don't know like a regency romance where you have like you know somebody who's an aristocrat should not be <laughs> mixing right. with you know like a chambermaid or something but in confucian culture like similar thing like status status and things are are highlighted but it, it's from a confucian concept of knowing your place and knowing your status in society right Right. And that people in a higher status are there for the right reasons or, you know, that that's assumed if they are there, that means they've done the right things that they, they are worthy of being there. Yeah. You know, and, and like, and, and for the, the father having done like dishonorable things, it reflects poorly on a child because it's like, you're cut from the same cloth as your father. Yeah. Like, how can I believe that you're not going to be disgraceful when your yes. father was disgraceful? Exactly. Yeah. 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 He shamed all of you because you all represent a family and not an individual. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we've spoken a lot about concept of duty, uh, which we will touch on more, I think, in my mister. So um, I will leave that one there. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So my examples... Um. Like I was saying, like, I feel like, you know, sometimes these drama writers are like trying to send a message. <laughs> so my examples um, are like, uh, for the one of them is um, loving contract. So like for a lot of Western viewers, I feel like the idea of, you know, um, uh, Pak Min Young's character's role, that idea of the single life helper was super far-fetched and yes. unrealistic yeah. as a job. Yeah. Um, but um, if you're looking at it from uh, the context of a, 
them all living in a Confucian society, yes. um, it made so much sense because that that job, her job was calibrated to help men escape the burdens of familial exactly. expectations and duties. Yes, yes. Um, and like, you know, the fact that that this job actually came into being in this in this drama i feel like it was like trying to send a message like hey you know what these expectations and this duty can be really overwhelming like people need to calm down yeah. like we don't want to get to the point where this is what like people have to do to escape this overwhelming burden it's like yes hire someone to lie to their whole family so yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you know get off my back you know basically um so yeah i thought that was really like it was really a very confucian like a job you know a modern confucian job yeah a mirror that's such a good point yeah a mirror held up to society saying if you continue to have such high expectations Right. of your children that you know this could be a reality right that they actually rather pay someone to escape that duty yeah. yeah 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 um yeah really good points speaking of expectations and duty do you feel like your parents ideas of filial piety have like evolved over time to like um like the kinds of hopes and expectations your parents had for you when you were younger versus now, like, do you feel like they have changed? Yeah, they've definitely softened. Yeah. And, and I think mine have definitely more evolved into what makes us um, happy rather than Mm -hmm. kind of what is seen as traditionally what you need to be successful. Mm -hmm. Um. Like, for example, it doesn't make them happy to see me or my brother work really hard, neglect our mm. health, eat badly, don't have time <laughs> to exercise. Right. Um, but I think that's not all parents. Like, I think mine are actually a bit more liberal minded, I guess, I'm a bit more tr- mm-hmm. bit more relaxed about some of these things, um, because mm-hmm. I know that um, if I look at some of my aunties and these are like my non-related aunties, so I'm talking about the parents of friends of mine um, or they're my parents' friends, they're maybe a little bit more traditional. Um, Mm -hmm. And also you have this immigrant phenomenon where immigrants often have a stronger, more conservative set of values than perhaps Mm. the people that uh, stayed in the society they left because they um, have maybe softened or grown with their culture but immigrant um, especially those immigrants that live in kind of a a bubble of their own culture have not progressed so say some Mm. of my mum's friends might have come across in the 1970s and if they've continued to stay in that society bubble they have the attitudes of the 1970s whereas maybe their peers now will you know they will have evolved right um but one, one phenomenon that I thought was quite interesting that my mum brought up like uh it's been a couple of years ago now but she said nowadays people want daughters like they they because obviously uh-huh. traditionally everyone wants that i mean this is why we have female infanticide uh, yeah. as, as, as a thing in chinese culture is because the the male the son is the the person that carries on your family line they are the uh you need to have a first son to, to represent you and to carry your name on um right and everybody wants sons right and your duty as a daughter-in-law is to produce a son there's huge pressure on yeah. you to do that. <laughs> But yeah. she was like saying that actually now there's a recognition that sons 
are actually not very good at looking after parents. <laughs> They're not very dutiful and uh, they don't do a lot for you. Whereas daughters are great. Like daughters like look after you. They come back and uh, check yeah. that, you know, they will do things for you and you can depend on them in old age and they have caring responsibilities. So apparently it's now become more... <laughs> more desirable almost <laughs> to have daughters because um they they're just more reliable i just thought that's yeah. hilarious I thought yeah. was, it's not reflective of my family my brother is brilliant my brother is very non-representative of i guess <laughs> other other like sons in the family who neglect their families right. but i thought it was really funny that my mummy was, was saying that this is now like a phenomenon uh yeah. in hong kong chinese culture yeah I think it's a phenomenon in Korean culture also because I feel like I've seen dramas, a bunch of dramas where where moms are like, I, you know, I prefer daughters. I, yeah. I want daughters. <laughs> All that stuff. But, you know, um, the thing that you were talking about with the bubble, like my friends and I talk about that, um, that too. Like yeah. um, we, we, we call it a time capsule. <laughs> mm-hmm. um so like yeah the same thing um you know ideas about social norms in korean american families can be more old-fashioned than those currently in place um yes. yeah uh, because like you know w- for immigrants it's like y- you're holding on to what you remember of your home country yeah and like for the the longest time like I think this is less true now, but for the longest time, like immigrants would come to a different country or the, uh, so people would emigrate from Korea to to the U.S. or whatever. And they wouldn't go back for like decades. Yes. Yeah. Um, because, you know, like living life is hard. It's expensive to do the, all of that. But I feel like it's becoming less of a thing. This mm. whole like time capsule phenomenon, because we have the Internet, um, travel is more accessible um, to most people. Um, we're like in we're in a couple generations down now. So it's like, you know, people have established themselves, um, yeah. you know, in in their uh in the countries they've immigrated to. So I feel like it's less of a thing, but um, we definitely, um, my friends and I talk, my Korean and American friends and I talk about this also. And, and recently I read um, an article where, you know, John Cho, the Korean American actor, he yeah. said, uh, and I had this sense about Korean food in, in America versus Korea also, but like, when I read this, I was like, oh, my God, this is it. Like, it crystallizes, like, what I've been thinking about it kind of in the back of my mind. He said, like, uh, Korean food in America is a moment frozen in time. It is the Korean food of my parents. That taste does not exist anymore in Korea itself. Korea has moved on. So, like, the same with food and with, like, societal norms, I feel like. Ah. Um, but but I kind of also wonder, because I've, like... Yeah, I've seen like clips of Suga saying that he loves to eat Korean food in America. And I kind of wonder, maybe it's like nostalgic for him. Like when he Uh, comes to America, maybe he tastes more the food of his childhood. Because I feel like there are like all of these like trends, food trends in Korea. And like things are changing all the time. Um, um, So like, you know, perhaps when he comes to America, he's like, ah, this is like growing up food <laughs> yeah home cook home cook food of my childhood yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, I, mean, I just wonder about that um ah, that's yeah. so interesting that's but, so interesting 
But yeah, but for my family, um, I think my parents have also softened and evolved. Like my mom will say, she will say, no, no, no. Like I was always this liberal. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think that my parents have also softened and they, you know, are more concerned about like our yeah. well-being and uh, our mental health and things like that. Um, yeah. And I can't really tell um, if that's like that they have actually softened or if they were like, okay, my my daughter just got married. I've done my job. <laughs> Everything else yeah. is up her. <laughs> um, I can relax now. So I'm not sure if they're like, okay, like this, my main role is is over now. Now, now I can just go into the background and so like just be more supportive and stuff. I think yeah I think there's an element of that like I do feel like when my when my brother got married because he got married later than me then he had his mm -hmm. children and and yeah kind of job done a little bit I feel I do <laughs> definitely feel like there was a marked kind of relaxation I think yes. in my parents when he yeah, yeah. when he did yeah yeah, yeah. The, the the most major milestone has been reached <laughs> has been reached yeah exactly yeah. We're, we're done we're done um so another key principle that I think we talked about was knowing your role in society um and actually this is an understanding of both your status in society and behaving accordingly to your role so um you will always be someone's child someone's grandchild mm -hmm. a member of you know your neighborhood your wider society um your state your country and they all come with expectations on how you should behave and the impact of the things that you do um and we spoke before like in the language podcast that we had of how hard for example it was for me to use the first names of my asian elders or mm -hmm. my own mother-in-law for example even though she's white um, because <laughs> right. i think i hold yeah some of these kind of understanding of, of my status relative to their status uh -huh. so that even something like what name i call them like i find it it really really hard and the other thing that i was talking about with my friends the other day was um so randomly i was in a chinese restaurant uh and the kitchen door was open and I could hear the Chinese chefs and they were just swearing like, <laughs> like, I don't know, like people in the Navy, right? So people in Chinese kitchens in the UK just have the the worst language. So this is what <laughs> I actually grew up with. So I grew up in Chinese takeaway in Chinese restaurant kitchens because mm -hmm. that's what I worked in when I was a teenager. Um, so this swearing and these swear words are very familiar to me. Um, but I have never used Chinese swear words. Um, oh. And I, it's not because I don't like swearing, because I swear like a trooper in English. Like I'm, I'm constantly <laughs> to watch my language around the kids. Um, so it's not because I don't lose. But for some cultural, I think, probably Confucian reason, I <laughs> cannot bring myself to swear in Chinese, even though I have a very extensive, thanks to oh. my, you know, my, my lifetime experience of Chinese <laughs> kitchen. A very extensive understanding right. of Cantonese swear broke up. And Cantonese also, we we have a lot of very colourful language. I think I've talked uh -huh. before about how it's kind of much more casual language, really, than Mandarin. Um, and we have a very, very wide vocabulary of swear words. Um, yeah, so I, I was thinking as well when I was kind of writing the script that 
part of knowing my status in society, like as a well brought up Chinese girl, that I should not be using this language. And to the point where I actually felt really uncomfortable. If like you made me say it, I would say it, but I wouldn't, Ah. I feel deeply, deeply uncomfortable using that language. And uh, yeah, it's very interesting because obviously, like I said, in English, I have any problems using. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, do you think that some of it is also like, this is the language of my parents and like, you're mostly used to using it with your parents and so, like, you would never swear, like, when you're talking to your parents, right? Like, a- as a yeah. respectful daughter, do you think, like, some of it is really, like, like rooted in, like, how, like, this language is, like, connected to the people that you're supposed to honor also? Yeah, potentially. Yeah. But then, like, I have, I have peer friends of mine who are British Chinese that are men. Mm-hmm who have no problem swearing oh interesting (laughs) yeah Yeah. something to reflect on but yeah I think that I think this kind of status we talked before about it being reflected in 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 Korean as well in language right yeah um yes uh Confucian ideas like including filial piety and stuff they're also the root of um kind of the hierarchical hierarchical and patriarchal norms in the public sphere um, that we see in Korean dramas and stuff. Um, So like it influences, you know, how we use honorifics and titles. So we honor age. So we use honorifics um, to, to show the proper respect to our elders. Um, Confucianism also um, places emphasis on hierarchy. So that's why like in a office setting, even if the person is younger than you, if they've been at the company for longer, they Mm. are your sanbe, right? Mm. And so you have to show the proper respect. Yes. Um, So yeah, it's it's definitely very much like the language and your status are, are very much tied to um like confucianism and confucian norms yes yeah and i think another example of this would be in c in c dramas where you have either wuxia or xianxia which are the martial arts historicals or the fantasy uh, historicals where you have a master and their 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 disciples or their students um you know what you call your brothers and sisters in inverted commas of um you know those those are studying with you under the same master Mm -hmm. that is decided on how long they've been with your master and not by Uh, um uh, like numerical age so if you had a for example a shishong which is like a she it would be to learn so she shong shong is an older brother so it's in in korean um so your Uh shishong would be whoever like an older man that was under your master first so, mm-hmm. and he would be venerated and respected in the same way that you would respect your older brother in you know in a family context um and again it don't, it wouldn't matter your season potentially could be uh kind of numerically calendar wise younger than you but because he was under your master first he is your your superior your, your like your elder mm-hmm um 
And then I think often also dramas use uh, people who break these rules to signal this is a maverick character, right? Because they don't right. behave in quote marks as expected. They don't use the correct terms of address. They are perhaps too casual. They don't show respect to their elders. And it's an easy way without using words and dialogue to show the yeah. audience that this this is this kind of character. He is a maverick. He's somebody different. Yes, you like like Chief Hong in Hong, Hometown Cha Cha Cha. Kim yes. Kim Tano's uh, Hong Dujik, Hong Hong Dujik, Hong. It's Hong Dujik. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then and, and also to some extent, um, Lee Byung Hun's character in Our Blues. Um, you know, he, he's a grumpy old man, and he doesn't like respect or use honorifics for the elders. Although. Mm. Um, I think part of that uh, is that I've heard somewhere that the Jeju dialect um, is generally more casual and uses less honorifics. But like the way he speaks is very harsh, you know, <laughs> toward yes. the elder yeah. and definitely is not, you know, uh, giving them respect. Yeah, great. So that's kind of the bare bones of Confucianism that Grace and I wanted to cover in our first podcast. But like I said, we're going to do a second one on my mister as a bit of a deep dive with links back to the Confucian uh, themes we've talked about. Um, but also, we also want to cover as quite a big topic, but Confucianism for women and what it means for sexual equality in Korean society. Because um, I think that's quite a big topic that I think we struggle to kind of fit into this podcast. So that will also be a future podcast topic because it's rich in in content um but i think we were going to end this podcast with a bit more of a light-hearted fun fact which i think you have for us grace yes so um you were saying that when you go to was it chufu yes uh that it's like confucius disneyland yeah. <laughs> um and everyone's related to confucius but yes. um, so my fun fact is that we have Korean descendants of Confucius also. There's yeah. one one line of Co Korean descendants of Confucius. And uh, some of our favorites, Kong Yu and Kong Hyojin, are said to be among Confucius's descendants. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So it, that's pretty cool, I think. So that was a lot of fun. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. And I hope everyone listening didn't find it too dry and actually found it kind of useful to take this concept uh, and sorry, all these Confucian concepts and ideas into your future K-drama and C-drama watching. Yeah. So until next time. Bye. 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 Niman. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our pod. Follow us on our Instagram at AfternoonerAsks or our website www.AfternoonerAsks.com. To get more K-drama content from our writer's lens, follow our sister pod, Afternooner Delight. For any BTS fans out there, our other sister pod, Afternoon Army, is here for all your needs. And if you want to hang with us and other K-drama fans, consider joining us on Afternooner Delight Patreon. There are different levels for you to access. Go to www.afternoonadelightpodcast.com to sign up. Finally, if you have any questions for us, please feel free to contact us via our socials or our email, which is afternoonerasks at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, 下次见!